Hello and welcome to the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. I'm Julia Dam. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News Team. This week, uh, we're going to try a new format for the podcast. Oh, we? It's new yeah. for us. Okay. Which is basically explain to Gerardo what's going on. <laughs> because Gerardo... Why is that, Gerardo? Where are you? Gerardo is not in Brussels. Gerardo, Gerardo is referring to himself in the third person as well. Yeah, like, like Maradona, no? It's, uh... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually in Spain. I'm doing a um, uh, press trip uh, in, the, in the salt marshes in the Cadiz Bay, so in Andalusia. So you, you're going to listen more about this in, uh, I think, next, next week's next podcast. Week. Yeah. In the next weeks, because you never know with the, <laughs> with the scheduling. Uh, so I'm completely, I'm here, I'm here since Monday, so I'm completely outside of the bad bubble. And fortunately, I have uh, Natasha and Julia that were working actually well, yeah <laughs> at least someone is working in this uh, hub and now they're gonna explain me everything uh I'm gonna catch you up a uh, quite an exciting week that you've missed this week gerardo because uh there was the yuko the summit this week of um eu leaders and actually food was in the conclusions and not just food wait for it guys cap and not just gap but cap strategic plans wow. actually had I mention in the council conclusions. Can you believe one, it? One week that I miss and everything's happening. Uh, I know. I really felt like this was my moment. You know, I, I was like, this is where this has all been leading to. Everyone's like, what is the strategic what? I'm like, step aside, step aside, everyone. There was a, an inside food chapter in the conclusions. Yes, indeed. I mean, food security, we've spoken about this again and again. Um, you know, food security has become this really central issue and it's made it, yeah, all the way to the council conclusion. So they were discussing how to ensure food security, basically. And, you know, there were discussions around the, the solidarity lanes with Ukraine and these issues with grain. Um, but the main, actually, the main discussion was more about, so there was a representative there from the African Union, uh, Mackie Saul, who is the president of Senegal, but also the chair of the African Union, um, who actually addressed EU leaders on behalf of the African Union, um, talking about the crisis and, and the circumstances in Africa and, you know, the the gravity of the situation of, um, you know, food shortages and and different issues in Africa where there are already incredibly vulnerable countries. And many countries in Africa are particularly uh, reliant on Russian and Ukrainian food uh, exports. Um, so there's already this kind of very volatile food security situation and this is making it a lot worse. Um, but what was really interesting was to see um, this... So basically, the African Union and with the EU leaders were trying to work together to make this unified stance against Putin's uh, food security propaganda. Now, basically, Russia is uh, saying that, you know, any food security issues, a lot of it is to do with any sanctions that has been placed on Russia um, by the EU. And this whole meeting on, on Tuesday was basically trying to dispel this and trying to say, no, we're together with this unified narrative that it is Russia causing these food security issues and not the sanctions. And it was really the show of kind of 
solidarity was the kind of was the idea of it um you know a political show of um support that we're together that we're together united against Russia's narrative of what's going on here um and the EU actually also the EU leaders also pledged support for Africa um a kind of a, a support package various ways that they're going they're planning to kind of support Africa in in terms of producing more food um, and actually another exciting thing that happened is that Ursula von der Leyen, the commission uh, president, actually said the words precision farming in a press conference. So you've I missed all kinds. I, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. She like, said, I, I read your article, but I don't believe you. Yeah, we, should, I mean, uh, it's, we should cut out a clip of that and uh, I'd say hang it up on our walls, but you can't hang it, like, play it as a permanent indeed, meme in the background. Indeed. Play it on a loop. Play it on a loop. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because she was saying this is the way that different countries, particularly in North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, should really focus on building resilience with new technologies. She said about precision farming, she said other innovations such as nanotechnologies, which I wasn't super sure what she was talking about here, but anyway. Always sounds uh, science and innovation when you say nano, so. Yeah, something science with a capital S. Yeah, exactly. And the commission pledged um, uh, money and different resources from the, actually from the European Development Fund to help support these populations in Africa and um, to overcome this food security situation. Um, so, yeah, so it was quite an interesting council, actually. And can I, was I, there. Can I, can I come back to a thing? You can, yeah. What was yeah, it? uh, no, I, I, since I'm actually, I'm not the, the, the journalist this week, so I'm basically the curiosity person. Um, guys, you know that actually the African Union is structured like the European Union. So you have the African Union Commission, uh, like for instance, the, the, the guy who was talking um, at the council was uh, Maki Sal, no? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but actually there's a commission president of the African Union who's uh, Musafaki. Um, the point is that uh, let's say Maki Sal, it's a bit of uh, Charles Michel, no? So basically, it's the chairperson, the 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 the, 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 the person that represents the African Union member states, and they basically elect uh, uh, this chairperson every year. But it's a bit, it's more like the council side of the African Union because there's also a more administrative side, which is the African Union Commission, uh, which is uh, run by Musafa. Musafaki is the is the African von der Leyen, let's say. Yeah, this That's is the... it, your knowledge about everything. Never no, yeah. I can basically I... bring up any topic about anything. And I'm like, <laughs> did you know? I'm just... I guess I, I was covering once the the African Union. Actually, Mustafaki was one of the... See, like... See, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to say anything. No, go on. No, I was the, the president of the G5 Sahel, which was another... Um, sub-regional uh, uh, group. Actually, he started his career in uh, in the African Union uh, during the, his period as uh, president of the G5 side. That's all Thank from you. me this week. Be sure to subscribe to... Sure to subscribe to... <laughs> I don't even know what, what's next, guys. <laughs> Well, I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit more about this narrative that, you know, about um, the unified narrative, because I'll just add a little something to this. Actually, I was talking to this um, representative from the Czech government and actually I was asking him about the kind of you know, how important food security was going to be in terms of the Czech presidency's uh, priorities. And 
it said a lot of interesting things and, you know, there, there will be a write-up of this um, on your active. So you can check that out for, for more details. But on this issue of the narrative that I was talking about, um, you know, challenging Putin's narrative that it's the sanctions causing food um, insecurity, he had quite a lot of interesting things to say. And basically he was saying that this narrative is growing and spreading and he's hearing it more and more and it's becoming very pervasive in many different areas and, and different countries. Um but, you know that are that are getting angry at the EU because of the sanctions, and they're thinking that this is this is the problem, and this is what's causing a lot of the problems. And I was asking him about the ways that we can challenge this, and of course, he said through you know factual dialogue and you know outreach and trying trying to help people understand exactly what's going on. But the other thing he was saying that was that was more interesting was that we what the way we should challenge this is also by upping food production in the EU, and that's a way we could try and help to ease, uh, ease tensions and do more trade and create more food. So again, this idea of increasing food production has come back in this, uh, in, in this uh, situation, um, which I found very interesting as a response. Um, and so actually, Dorado is not the only one that's... Um, been traveling around recently. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I also um, have been um, getting around a little bit recently. I went to Sardinia and I wasn't really anticipating the uh, the, <laughs> the interview or the story that I'm about to share with you. But it's one of those things that you just come across an interesting, uh, something interesting. And basically I ended up visiting this old prison in Sardinia. And you might be thinking, what is the link between prison and agriculture? Well, listen on to find out because uh, our guest this week is going to tell us all about how prisons in Sardinia helped shape the agricultural sector. I'm Sara. I'm a guide of the Natural Park of Porto Conte. And now we are here in the headquarters of the Natural Park. That is a very beautiful building that in the past was a jail. It was a jail for 20 years and nowadays uh, uh, this building hosts some multimedia rooms, uh, in particular one museum about the jail with the history of the, some documents about the history of this place that was uh, really, really particular because the prisoners that were imprisoned here um, were most involved in agricultural practices uh, during their daily duties. So they have to spend their penalties working for the community and the community of the village was made up of, yes, prisoners, but also the prison wardens, uh, their families and other people working here and so what kind of uh, agricultural activities would they would they do they were mostly involved in uh, plowing seeding harvesting and um, cultivating fields of cereals but also cultivating vineyards and uh, producing oils by uh, by the um, olive trees and um, actually they were obliged to perform any kind of job was necessary to sustain and to self-support the community mm. living here. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, agricultural peanut colony was active for 20 years, but other examples here in Sardinia lasted more. And mm -hmm. yes, also um, 80 or 90 years. Mm. And there are still some active today, Yes, right? today we have in Sardinia three agricultural peanut colonies still active. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before, they were saying that Sardinia used to be like kind of swamp land and a lot of these prisoners helped to plant to yeah. create to create what the Sardinia yeah. we see today. They had a, a large influence in uh, yes, also here we um we have um uh, a modification of the landscape also made up these prisoners because you have to imagine Sardinia in the 17th or 18th century that was most populated by forest. Uh, then uh, wood was the primary material for, uh, for building or to make coal, so a lot of trees were cut. And um, in case of this agricultural penal colony of Tramarillo, a lot of prisoners were involved in agricultural practices because they have to produce cereals for the um, for the cattle or the livestock, but also to create a new economy, a sort of new economy for this territory. After the closing of the jail. Um, the pine forests that you can see now were planted during 60s and 70s in order to recreate a forest where forests were not present anymore. So the landscape has changed uh, several times in the last decades and also uh, thanks uh, to people like the prisoners mm. uh, who lived here. Mm. And the, the the prisons that are still active today, these prisoners are, are also doing a lot of agricultural Yes, work. not here, but in the, in the three agricultural penal colonies that are still active, they are mostly involved in agricultural practice or mm. cattle breeding or, yes, farming activities in uh, Sensolato. Because mm. mm, it's the same kind of thing, like cattle yes, breeding. Yes, but I repeat, every kind of job was necessary for the community and mm. if they are able to perform them, they they can do they are asked to do for the community. We are buzzing with excitement for this week's Flavor of the Week as we are talking about honey. (laughs) Why are you laughing, Natasha? Honey, yourself. I appreciate a pun. Yeah. Honey, more like punny, huh? No. <laughs> oh. <It's> too much. <laughs> Guys, uh, let's let's put this in the context uh, for our listeners. Um, you know, the, there was a time we were we were just me and and Tash doing this job, and there was some kind of um, how can I say? No competition, but challenge in doing uh, fun stuff. No, we just pushed certain... each other to be our best. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah. And at a certain point, Yuli arrived and completely changed the you know the level playing field because actually Yulia she's she's very creative, and also and also I mean uh, she's quite uh, you know like uh, pushing fun all of all of us out and so. Uh, quite, quite unexpected, let's say. But let's dive straight into some sweet fun facts because you were, probably know that honey is made by bees. But did you know that they do not only produce it from the sugary secretions of plants, uh, basically the, the floral nectar, but also from the secretion of other insects such as honeydew? Mm-hmm. That is a yummy fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a yummy fact. <laughs> but also, 
honey can either be collected from the hives of wild bees or from domesticated bees, which is called apiculture. Um, and using and producing honey actually has an extremely long history. This may, be, this may be one of the oldest flavors of the week we've had so far. Uh, because there are even some cave paintings found in Spain which show humans foraging for honey at least 8,000 years ago. Mm. It's funny because um, during COVID as well, there's quite a boom, quite a buzz around keeping uh, keeping honeybees. And actually my my own family jumped on this because my dad has been keeping, keeping bees. Um, he has done for, yeah, I think it was since, since 2020. So the um, big foot is uh, is the uh, big foot, the big foot, is, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that's his hives. But he's been having some problems. Actually, it's been a quite sad story. He actually found some bees that were native to the UK, extremely rare, I mean, like endangered, like you know, because they're mainly not the the native variety. They're imported bees. But he found these um, these English bees, and he was very very proud of these and very excited. And he got all the gear and he got the hives and he got the suit and he even got honey extractors and jars and everything. And actually he's had he had a lot of issues with these with these bees. They were just weren't producing honey. There just wasn't enough pollen for them to to produce the honey. And then we saw um there was a storm. I think if you guys remember a couple of months ago there was this big storm and just the weather conditions. I mean, he thinks it's the weather conditions. Um, he, it means he his hives collapsed. He lost his uh, he lost his hives, and he was absolutely heartbroken. I, I wasn't ready for this tragic. Uh, I know it's uh, quite tragic, isn't such it? Such a sad story know, in, the, really sad in the fun bit of the podcast. It's, it's the sad reality for a lot of beekeepers because it, they're so dependent on on you know weather fluctuations and issues of you know, pollination and you know poll- generally you know flowering times and all kinds of things and seasons have been all mixed up, you know, for the last last few years, thanks to climate change. And uh, they're incredibly vulnerable, these bee populations. So Yeah, but actually you have to consider that if, if there were um, an award for the funniest uh, podcast, this would be probably... <laughs> so, I mean, I'm you just have saying, a, it's a, a high standard. Real story. Like, you know, real I mean, story. our <laughs> listeners don't want to, to listen to this. It's, okay, guys, I know, I know what's going to cheer us up, all the uh, nerdy hats uh, of us ourselves and the people listening uh some eu yeah. facts let's talk some eu, oh, some yes. EU nerdy you know stuff oh now now we're fine <laughs> please go ahead yeah the most it's the most fun thing i can think of that we could put now um <laughs> yeah let's too. dive in yeah so the eu is actually the second largest honey producer worldwide after china with a total of 20 million beehives across the eu um according to commission data and beekeeping is actually practiced in all EU countries, so uh, quite connecting, uh, but mostly in the ones located further south, like Romania or Spain are the biggest ones. Uh, but at the same time, the EU is also a net importer of honey, even though it produces so much. Um, and now let's also talk some policy. Did you know that? Well, you uh, really know what yeah, people want. We'll, we'll go. So very honey mouthed, aren't mm-hmm. you? Anyone know the expression? No, 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 no absolutely. Not. That is the difference between very Natasha. Smooth, very yeah. smooth and persuasive. You said in German anyway, as well. Uh, you say you smear honey across someone's mouth. <laughs> it's a bit more 
plastic. That's it. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah so did you actually know that the EU has a system in place um, of kind of national plans, a bit like the strategic plans in a way, where mm -hmm. the countries can draw up a national apiculture program and This is then supported by the EU financially. So currently programs are running in all EU countries from 2020 to 2022. And the EU is funding them with uh, 240 million euros across the EU. And by these programs, the countries can receive EU funds for their apiary sectors to support eight specific measures that the EU has uh, put forth. And those include training for bee beekeepers, combating beehive invaders and diseases, and also anal uh, analyzing honey and other apiculture products. That's all from us this week. Uh, this week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. That includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to your newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Julia Dam. Thanks for listening and see you next week.